From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. So I had originally, you know, I had, I had looked at, you know, you've got polymers and metals, and metals was still relatively young at the time. Um, and my thought was that uh, polymers market was, was pretty well saturated. Uh, a lot of people doing it for, you know, for decades. And, you know, here we're going to be a new entrant. Um, let's give metals a shot. That was Bob Markley. Bob is the executive vice president at Adman Engineering but it's a testament to the speed at which things changed in the additive manufacturing industry. At the time of this recording, that news was not yet public, so he's speaking on behalf of Third Dimension Industrial 3D Printing. Bob has an amazing story of perseverance, hard work, and dedication in building his own 3D printing shop in the Indianapolis area. He shares that journey with me on the show today and the lessons he's learned through the adoption of multiple production AM machines. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Bob, welcome to the show. Uh, I think you and I met first in person when I was down in Indy when we were at kind of this Raytheon technical conference or showcase. Um, maybe we'll kind of use that as a middle point, but why don't we start a little bit beyond that and and talk about the audience where... Where did you get into the additive manufacturing space? What's kind of that origin story of, of how you kind of started in, in the metal space and, and just in general with the technology? Well, I used to joke around that I uh, got dropped on my head as a child. And then I said that in front of my dad and he goes, yeah, actually, actually I did. My mother goes, oh, I didn't know about that. And my dad goes, yeah, I was actually down a flight of stairs. So that, that's, that's what I consider the origin story. But um, no, I actually, I got into it with, with little to no background. So my first career, uh, I was a race car engineer, primarily with IndyCars, open wheel theater series. Um, you know, at one point I'd had kids that I'd worked with. I think I had about half of the, the Indy 500 field uh, that were my former drivers, which was quite impressive. Um, so I did that for about 10 years and then went to work for, uh, for Rolls-Royce in Indianapolis. Um, eventually left there to go work at a, GM had a, a facility uh, in Indianapolis where they were doing advanced hybrid transmissions. So I moved back into the automotive space. Um, now that was, oh, let's see, I guess that was about 2000, 2011 or so, uh, 2000, yeah, 2012. And, um, GM decided they were going to wind that facility down and said, you know, everybody got, uh, got about 18 months and, uh, got a job for 18 months. And, um, after that, you know, they're very gracious, obviously, to, to keep us on uh, to, to finish up the projects and, and get that uh, facility closed. But so as, as that was winding down, I figured, well, got a technical background. Let's uh, let's go figure out a business to run and go run it. So I heard something on the radio about additive manufacturing and said, that sounds interesting. Uh, started digging into it a bit more and uh, wrote up a business plan. Um, took the leap with really pretty much no, no background and uh, figured I'd be selling a lot to the IndyCar teams. Um, but at their, uh, what you see with a lot of the racing series, uh, particularly here in the U.S., is a lot, there's a, quite a bit of cost containment. Um, 
so the additive side just just didn't really fit at that point. So uh, got it going, started from scratch, and here we are. So talk about those early moments when you're crafting the business plan. Kind of what was the, what was the kernel? What was the insight that you were kind of building the the premise around? And and what were those first two step first few steps and getting it off the ground? Uh, first step, obviously finding finding money. So I mean, it was you know it's the, the classic story. You're going around hat in hand, begging to to friends and family and any banker that'll that'll listen to you. Um, just to make sure, you know, put the business plan together and you see all this opportunity. And you have to remember back 2013, you know, we're, we're just screaming up that Gartner hype cycle uh, on the hype side. You know, this was, this was going to be push a button and, and get anything. And, you know, uh, at the same time, uh, as I came to learn, machines, software, not necessarily mature. So um, it actually, I don't want to say it worked out in our favor, but coming from the racing background, uh, as we got this up and going, there was a lot of troubleshooting. That's, I mean, that was what we did most of the time was, was troubleshooting. I thought so, these machines worked perfectly, right? Isn't oh, that based on LinkedIn, what I read on LinkedIn? It, it just control P. Everything comes out shiny and just exactly exactly what you need, right? With with all the properties and uh, no 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 concerns at all. Um, so you know, was uh, the first few months so. Um, getting up and going, you know, just trying to find, find a facility, get machine on order, figure out what all the, uh, what all the ancillary equipment I would need. Um, and you know, that's, that's one of the areas that we've, we've continued to grow in is, uh, is that secondary processing in the CNC shop. Um, you know, literally going to the shop after finishing my real job at GM and scraping mastic for another off the floor for another eight hours, uh, you know, tearing down walls, plumbing argon, plumbing compressed air, um, painting, you know, just all the, all the things that needed to happen. Uh, so eventually got our first machine in, in, oh, I think it was late September of 2000, 2013, uh, and promptly um, bounced the laser back into the laser and, and fried it. So that was, that's the, that was a great way to start. Um, it actually it worked out all right, though. Uh, you know, we were able to get that get that replaced under warranty, and uh, eventually, kind of start figuring out what we were doing. And what and was the? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, what was the process like for which which machines do you start with? Even what technology? Did you have that yeah. in mind early on when you were writing the business plan? Like, I want I want this amount of money so I can buy this mm-hmm. system or. So I had originally, you know, I I looked at, you know, you've got polymers and metals and metals was still relatively young at the time. Um, And my thought was that uh, polymers market was, was pretty well saturated. Uh, A lot of people doing it for, you know, for decades. And, you know, here we're going to be a new entrant. Um, Let's give metals a shot. And then in terms of, uh, of machines, I, I looked at, quite a few, you know, at the time I was one man operation. Um, so really, you know, doing it all. And, uh, I ended up going with the 3d systems pro X 200 for a couple of reasons, one smaller machine. So much easier for me to handle as a, uh, you know, with, with the capitalization that we had, you know, um, having the smaller build plates, you know, smaller bandsaw, more importantly, you know, your powder load on that 
for your initial load is, is significantly less. And you're probably talking an eighth of the volume of you know, standard 250 class uh, machine for, for what you need for powder. Um, so that, you know, that helped me with cash burn early on. Uh, and then with the roller, um, definitely a bit of a unique system. And there, there's still things I can do on, on those roller-based machines that I just I can't touch on anything else. You know, maybe with the exception of a Velo, but again, I don't have first-hand experience with, with that uh, piece of equipment. So that's why we ended up with our, our ProX200, a um, little bit less expensive than uh, uh, the 250-class machines. And um, figured we'd have 3D systems to, uh, to continue to stand behind it. So we actually bought our machine the day before 3D systems uh, bought Phoenix. So uh, that's why we've got one blue machine and one, one gray machine back for the 200s. And uh, so you, you've got your machines in hand, you've kind of hung the drywall, you've plumbed the argon, you kind of got your facility up and running. Kind of how was the customer acquisition when you, you first started? Was there a lot of education that you had to do to kind of teach people what what are you doing? What, like, what does this, what does this mean for our business? What was that? There's, like? there's, there's still a lot of education. You know, that's, that's most of what we do is, is uh, educate our clients and, and help them on their additive journey. Um, yeah, there's still quite a bit of misconception. So, you know, obviously being in a smaller shop, one machine, one person at that time, eventually brought on Dave, our lead, who's now our lead engineer, uh, you know, our, our costs were pretty low. Um, which was a good thing because, you know, early on in metals, it's like we said, it's uh, you wish you'd push a button, get a part out. Um, that's not the way it, it works. And uh, there's a, a high rate of failure. Um, so we're able to get enough, enough clients. We were fortunate in that we were one of the, the first uh, groups to have that 3D systems piece of equipment and their sales network. Um, this was before Quick Parts was was out selling a lot of metal, uh, so their sales network was effectively uh, acting as our sales network, and we were doing um, doing quite a bit of work for for three D systems and, and some of their clients as well. And how was it being in kind of the the indie area, Indianapolis area? Was was that helpful in terms of some of the industry there, or the types of kind of um, business industry verticals? There's some automotive and um, medical devices, certainly in, in some parts of not Indy, but Indiana, was that helpful at all? So not on, not early on. Um, but it's, it's truly become one of our advantages. So, uh, we do have a relatively decent aerospace infrastructure. Um, so any type of, uh, NADCAP, um, I need a accredited NADCAP, uh, heat treater. I've got one 30 minutes away. I've got Praxair. 30 minutes away. So, you know, I call them up in the morning, say, Hey, I need, need a couple hundred or a couple thousand pounds of powder. And they go, all right, well, bring your truck down. We'll have it for you this afternoon. You know, so, so my carrying costs are significantly lower, um, you know, inspection, uh, really some of those ancillary processes that we don't have in house, but you still need to fully realize a, uh, a functioning product. Uh, we've got, got just this great infrastructure uh, that we lean, lean heavily upon. And as you were kind of building out the, the technology infrastructure, how did kind of your thinking go about kind of building the team out, right? Your one man shop starting out and then you're doing everything and kind of 
there's often that struggle of like, okay, when, when's the right time to bring someone on with cash flow, And then also kind of predicting out what, what are the next projects coming down the pipe and, and who can I get to make two hands, four or six or eight, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I was kind of reaching that point and just threw something up on, on Facebook and, um, uh, so my lead engineer, Dave and I worked together, oh, I don't know, 2006, yeah, 2006 or 2007, uh, at one of the race teams. So he's another recovering race car engineer. Um, and it's, it's great when you're, uh, young and single, but being on the road for that many days a year, uh, becomes very difficult, um, for a family life. So he was looking to come out off the road and he said, Hey, let's talk. And, uh, figured something out with him and, um, he's been with us since, uh, early 2014. The years all run together now. It's, it's all one big blur. So what's kind of talk about a little bit about today or the present kind of what's the focus, what types of technologies are you kind of mainly running or most interested in? Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the areas that that we've, uh, seen most of our growth is actually in the traditional side. So, um, having our machinists under the same roof as our uh, additive uh, and our engineering has, has really been extremely helpful. So we're now um, a lot, quite often we'll do a pre-production meeting on, on a given component, uh, figure out what we need for, for fixturing, tooling, uh, et cetera. So we can shorten that lead time. And one of the other interesting things is that also gives us the opportunity to build our work holding right into the components. We're not doing secondary uh, work holding. Um, so, you know, that's, it's really developing the, the full, uh, having all the infrastructure under, under one roof, um, be it print or, uh, or CNC. Now you know, there's some, um, some areas where it doesn't necessarily make sense to have it under roof, you know, where you need, uh, pretty high, um, got very, very stringent quality requirements, uh, some of the additional special processes uh, where you really have to be running that day in, day out to be good at it and uh, for it to make financial sense. So, so we tend to, you know, like I said, we've got the network in Indy that, that can do that. Um, you know, in terms of what's coming down, down the road for uh, technology, you know, there's, we're seeing obviously a lot of movement in binder jet um, for metals. It'd be interesting to see you know, where that ends up, uh, what's hype, what's not, how's the software coming along. I mean, at the end of the day, this this seems to really be primarily a software game. You know, your hardware is your hardware. You can't outrun physics. Um, so it's, it's really how well are things, things control your process control through your software. And as you think about kind of your evolution and of the business kind of when you're you're first starting out your business plan kind of what over the last five six seven years have you learned that you may have wanted to kind of do differently or or update your thinking as you first started out oh it's it's always a learning process you know i I can't point to necessarily one or two things um you know there's i think the one thing that i've learned is you can only control what you can control and uh be uh be aware of the rest, but don't let it, don't let it eat at you. And, um, you know, it, it can certainly influence what you're doing. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
can only control what you can control. So right. it's, um, I think, you know, not necessarily speaking to the business plan specifically, but just as a, as a general rule. So uh, it's, it's, everything's constantly changing, right? So business plan is a, it's a good guideline, but it, uh, uh, industry doesn't always go how you want it to or expect it to. Right. So. For sure. And so we were talking just before we, we hit record that you were up at 3 a.m. today. Kind of, I hope that's not a regular occurrence, but can you uh, kind of just talk us through kind of what, what's your typical day look like in terms of running your business and working oh, in the shop? Is, or is, uh, there, is there a typical day? <laughs> there, is, there is never a typical day, you know, especially as, as we start coming out of the COVID era. era. Um, I was on a plane for the first time in over a year last week. And uh, so it's been, it's been difficult um, not going out to see clients, uh, not, not being on the road, face-to-face meetings, parts and hands, you know, doing a good whiteboard session. Um, you know, for, for so long that I've done the accounting, I've done uh, some of the engineering, um, uh, HR, lead janitor, I mean, you name it. it. Really, it's it's just my role right now uh, and lately has been to give my guys, my team, the, the tools that they need um, and the ability to do what they need to do to, to get the best parts out uh, to the client, whether that means, you know, I'm, I'm there changing filters or replacing the fan in a, uh, in a chiller or I'm out on the road uh, selling, you know, it's a, uh, it's really just trying to, to make sure they have, have the resources uh, to do what they need to do. Yeah. Can we dig into that kind of selling part a little bit too? Like, so there's so much, I mean, as you've been mentioning today, there's the post-process and the design part kind of as you sell the technology and you're educating the, the customer about what it is, like kind of what are some of your perspectives on, on how you engage with these conversations? Is it really kind of doing a lot of pre-planning to kind of say like, okay, like this is a good approach or we can do better with this design or these supports or this material or this machine kind of, can you kind of walk us through an example conversation or typical conversation that you'd have with, with one of your customers? Yeah. So we really, we really don't have a typical conversation. Um, I, I hate death by PowerPoint. I'll be honest. So usually, you know, when we're, we're talking to a client, I might give them, you know, a brief background of who we are. But really, I want to hear what their problems are, or where they're running in, in to roadblocks and issues, and then help educate them on, on what we're able to do. Or, you know, there, there's times where we're not the right solution, and we're going to be pretty upfront about that as well, or help them find the right solution for our, through our vendor network. Um, you know, so every every project, I mean, even within the same client has, has a different goal, right? It could be weight savings. It could be time savings. It could be cost savings. It could be, you know, uh, clean sheet design it could be end of life. So there's, there's such a wide variety of components and situations that it really becomes speaking to, uh, what's, what's a value to the client and, and how do we maximize that? So we, we tend to do, we do a lot of relational, um, selling, so I'm not going to hit you with, with the brochure and just throw paper at you or PowerPoints at you. You know, I, at the end of the day, I like a challenge. I'm a problem solver. 
And I think that's, that has, uh, has separated us a bit from, from a more traditional uh, sales organization. Yeah. And it sounds like too, like when you bring the parts into, to show people, I mean, my opinion has always been like for many folks who are just getting into the space or like just throwing parts to some of the service kind of bigger service bureaus, like there's a big disconnect between what you send and like all the stuff that goes on to like actually make it like even make it like a crappy part and send it back. Right. Like there's a lot of work that goes into to doing that. And if you don't see it or have someone directly that you can kind of interface with of like, okay, if we would have just changed this, like we are improvements where we would have seen a better result. So I've always been of the opinion that like it's so important to see it or have someone there to like, shepherd through the entire process and not have this black box. Yeah. I mean, our, our first question is always, you know, do you have drawings to go with this? And uh, surprisingly uh, we're, we're starting to see, see more of the competition ask for drawings, which is a good thing, right? We don't want to just print paperweights. It's going to leave everybody with a bad taste in their mouth. Um, alternatively with the CNC shop, we don't have to hit everything with the additive hammer because that's all we have, you know, it's, uh, so really that, that face-to-face interaction and face-to-face camera to camera, wherever you're at right now, um, it really becomes critical in, in realizing what, what is the end goal for the customer and what does success look like for them? Jumping on that. I mean, you've kind of willed this business into reality kind of from scratch, which is kind of doing these amazing things. And I love following kind of your guys' work and catching up with you regularly to see what you're doing. Like kind of, how do you kind of, when you're first starting out, like you're kind of building this entire road by yourself and were there kind of things that you had in mind that you wanted to, that you were kind of grading yourself on in terms of, Hey, like we're kind of getting somewhere, like we see success and, and, getting these types of customers or doing these types of projects was kind of what was kind of the carrot leading you to, to kind of continue to, to keep innovating and, and doing good work. Stubbornness. <laughs> Truthfully. I, I mean, again, I go back to the racing background and it's, you're only as good as, as your last race, right? I mean, uh, you're finishing first. You've got to make, take two steps where everybody's taking one just to stay ahead. So um, really it's a lot of intrinsic motivation or internal motivation. Um, You know, the client list is great. Uh, It's great getting paid. There there was a long time where, uh, where everything went right back into the company and, you know, we bootstrapped the thing and uh, I don't know why or how my wife is still with me, but here we are. I was a lot less gray when we started, but, uh, you know, really stubbornness. I mean, literally, I can't tell you how many nights I've spent at the shop, uh, futon there, um, had one project early on. I was probably right around Christmas of 2014. I would be my guess. In fact, I think it was actually Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas day staying at the shop because the, uh, middle of a seven day build five or, five or seven day build. I can't remember which. And, uh, the chiller would go off, uh, would shut down about every 20 minutes. So around the clock, every 20 minutes, listen for the alarm, for the beep, we'll turn the chiller back on. So 
that was a that was a bit brutal. You know, it, uh, uh, same thing almost almost every weekend in there, um, turning builds or doing maintenance. Uh, you know, removing support. Um, I didn't have. I mean, I, I just I didn't have a choice, right? Because I've got the home equity line that's you know helping me fund the thing. I didn't have a choice. We we're going to make it. We we're going to make it, or we we're going to, you know, literally lose the house. Yeah, that's certainly big motivation, and I mean, it's, it's to see kind of where you guys are are at. And I mean, I I think for for me, you're one of the the funnest people to talk to in the industry because you've kind of lived every aspect of the the building the business and running the business, running the machines, working with customers and, and kind of cutting through the, a lot of the BS and like, Hey, here's, here's the real kind of no nonsense reality of, of what's going on, which was oftentimes been difficult to, to see. I mean, even today, as I reflect on like the last year of COVID, right. And like the main way that people are interfacing or like you see the best on of what people are doing on LinkedIn or whatever, like it's the shiny, like you don't see any of the the meat and potatoes that went into some of the, some of that, that work. So I'm excited to kind of see where, where that leads when you can actually kind of have real conversations on, on some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's why I'm so excited to get back to AMUG this year. Um, the, the network and connection that I made there, you know, very, very much the same mindset. Let's, you know, we're going to try and figure this thing out together. You know, I had made some very good friends, uh, in the industry and had you know, a guy who's head of, uh, head of a major company, the head of their metal called me up the day, other day and goes, I got this failure. I got no idea what's going on here just sat there chewed over it for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I haven't heard back if we actually found the solution or not, but, you know, just the openness and willingness to share uh, in this industry is, is absolutely amazing. It's, it's the classic case of a rising tide lifts all boats, right? I mean, we've got to grow as an industry. We've got to grow our standards. We've got to grow our processes. Um, you know, it, it blows me away that eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, it, we're just trying to stick metal together. Just trying to get a good build out. Now we're concerned about microstructure and what you know, and just how far uh, everything has has progressed in a very short period of time. And so, what kind of what's on the horizon for you in terms of as you're looking at new technologies that are coming out? I mean, there's twelve, one hundred and forty-five, whatever the latest number is on on lasers on the metal metal laser side, there's binder jetting, there's new technologies like Surad and, and others that are kind of coming down the pike. Are there things that are kind of exciting to you as is kind of expanding kind of the new technology or is it really still about like, Hey, look, market penetration and additive. If you think about manufacturing is still pretty low. Like there's so much opportunity with just existing technologies. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really fitting fitting the right technology uh, into our portfolio to, for our customers, right? So we're looking at a couple of projects right now where um, customer needs machine brand X or machine brand Y. Uh, so some of it's, it's moving in that direction. Um, you know, again, there's still things we do on our first machine that came in in 2013 that I can't, 
touch on on really anything else. Uh, it's a laser. You've got powder. You've got galbos. You know, you can you can throw more at it, uh, but then you also run to uh, run into potential issues when you start throwing more lasers at it. It, it gets extremely complex. Um, you know, both laser plume interaction with with multiple lasers, heat rejection. I mean, you go from you know, let's say you're running 400 watts to now you've got four four lasers. You're running putting 1600 watts in, into a part. You know, how do you get rid of rid of that? Uh, how do you get rid of all that um, while you're, you're uh, soot? And, uh, you know, there's, I'll be very, I'm very interested to see some of these, these more, more larger laser systems, you know, 8, 16, uh, whatever, 137 is that the that I heard? Yeah. And, and just how they control some of these, these issues. And the program, I mean, Again, it's, you can keep adding adding lasers as much as you want, but if you don't have the software to control it and get a repeatable process, then it's somewhat inconsequential how many lasers you have. Right, right, absolutely. And kind of switching gears a little bit is a lot of the kind of folks that we're hoping to, to reach with the podcast and, and talk through maybe kind of wanting to learn more about kind of what are some different types of jobs in the space or kind of like how do they build their skill set to kind of be an effective kind of person, leader, contributor to additive manufacturing teams or the surrounding kind of traditional manufacturing that supports parts of the industry? Kind of, what do you look for when you're kind of building out your team or when you're looking at other teams and saying like that's kind of the, the type of person that um, or skill set that, that, that I look for? You know, it's, it really depends on the role, you know, having, having grown this and I realize it's probably too late, but it takes, takes all types. So I, I tend to be very engineering minded, very technically focused. Um, and that's, that tends to be you know, what I've hired. I've, I've hired uh, a lot of the people I've hired come from the racing industry, right? Because it's fast paced. You're always challenged. There's not always the right solution or a prescribed solution. You've usually got to go out and figure it out. So, you know, that's what I'm really looking for is, is the problem solving um, and the ability to pull, pull as a team, at least on the technical side, you know, uh, probably don't want a, an accountant that's too creative, um, you know, so, so that's, that's really, uh, that's really been, uh, at least in our early stages, what I, what I looked for uh, and somebody who's willing to you know, get in, get their hands dirty, uh, not afraid to, to dig out and build, um, you know, when you're only running with two or three or four people, uh, everybody's got to do a little bit of everything. Right. So now, you know, we're, we're looking for some more specialized roles. Um, and, uh, but really, I mean, still it, it comes down to, Problem solving, problem solving, ability to communicate, um, and work work as a team. So. And so, what's kind of on your radar? What's exciting for twenty twenty one as you look to continue to to grow the business? Hopefully, come out of COVID. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, is there anything that uh, kind of what's what's keeping your motor running? What's what's exciting? I'll tell you next week. 
<laughs> now, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing, um, we're seeing a really the, the world, the broader manufacturing world starting to accept additive and, and actually push ahead. Uh, we're seeing a more educated client, um, obviously, than, than we were many years ago. Uh, and a realization of, of how to utilize this technology. Um, so that's that's been pretty exciting to us. And we're seeing we're seeing new entrants come in, right? In terms of in terms of the client base, uh, you're hearing more and more about it. And it's 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 productive projects, right? So that's that's I think been been really kind of one of the, the things that I've seen um, as as we've started to come out of, uh, out of COVID. Um, and just a, a new way of thinking uh, or a new way of, of pushing boundaries of what's possible. I mean, if we would have said you know, a year and 13 months ago, you know, we'd all be working from home for the, for the next year uh, and figuring out a way to you know, no travel. Kids aren't going to school. Um, you know, none of us obviously would have, would have believed it or, or it's uh, so it's, you know, we're finding new ways to do things that, that we didn't think possible. Um, and that's being able to push those boundaries, I think, is what excites me most in 2021. Awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining the show today. I look forward to in a couple of weeks hearing what that the announcement is, and we'll do a follow-up to, to cover that as well. So um, I'll see you down at AMUG, hopefully, in, in Orlando in a few weeks, and uh, hopefully. talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike.